Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. If you're brand new, uh, I'm Dylan, and I'm just super, super excited that you're here with us today as we celebrate Christmas. Hey, um, man, I hope it becomes evident as we go through this morning that without Jesus, there would not be a Christmas. Without Jesus, there wouldn't be a Christmas, and there wouldn't be Christmas traditions. In fact, how many of y'all love some Christmas traditions? Show of hands, you can type it in online. I love Christmas traditions. How many of y'all love Christmas movies? Christmas movies, great, awesome, awesome. Um, one of the things me and my wife do every Christmas Eve after the kids go to bed, we get all snugly on the couch and we watch How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Love, love it, love it, love it. Uh, when I was a kid, we would watch A Christmas Story. You sh- sh- you'll shoot your eye out. Any, any Christmas Story fans in here yet? Yeah, love, love that movie, great movie. Um, how many of y'all love the food around Christmas? You love the, amen, yes, the food around Christmas. Love the food around Christmas. Um, man, when I was a kid, it was, it was epic because we would have Christmas Eve dinner at my granddaddy's house, and then the next day, Christmas lunch at my grandmother Smith's house, and then Christmas dinner at my grandma Shoop's house. And let me just tell you, for like a 10 or 11-year-old with a vegan mother, like Christmas Day was the most epic thing in the world. It was awesome. Love the food around Christmas. Um, and, and how about the stories around Christmas? Like who loves Christmas stories? Like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Um, but my personal favorite, and I, I don't just say this because I'm a pastor, it's because it's true, is the actual Christmas story. Um, in fact, I remember when we were a kid, like kind of the kickoff for my family on Christmas Eve is we would gather at my grandmother Smith's house and she would read us Luke's account of the Christmas story that we find in Luke chapter 2. And so that's where we're going to start this morning. If you have a Bible and want to follow along, uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 2. If not, everything will be on the screen and you can just kind of keep an eye on that. So here we go, Luke chapter 2. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, if you've grown up in church, then these are super, super familiar words. In fact, some of y'all, like y'all could have quoted that 
back to me without even looking at it. Like it's just, it's just kind of old hat. Like you've read it and read it and heard it and heard it. And you just, you're very, very familiar with it. And, and even if you're not from a church background, like if you're here and man, church isn't really your thing. First off, man, I'm super, super thankful that you're here. But you probably at least have like at least some sort of like familiarity with that story. Like you're like, okay, yeah, Christmas, Jesus, baby, and so on. And so we can get so familiar with that passage that we can miss something. Because we often look at that and it's like, okay, yeah, sure, it's, it's the announcement that Jesus has been born. But the question I want us to think about for a moment, a moment is this. What if it's not just an announcement, but also an invitation? What if it's more than God sending a whole bunch of angels to tell some random shepherds, hey, Jesus has been born. What if it's actually an invitation from God to people to accept something that God is giving? Because that's actually what it is. And where we get that is, is from this. We see the angels say two things that, that address kind of two groups of people. One is every person in the world. Because the angel says, hey, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Every person in the world. But then when the heavenly choir shows up, they say, hey, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So we have an announcement of great news that is available for everybody. But then we have an invitation that, hey, the way you experience peace with God is his favor comes to rest on you. And this good news, while available for everybody, anywhere, regardless of your background, regardless of your struggle, regardless of your story, is only experienced by those on whom God's favor rests. And so, of course, the question that comes with that is, how do I get God's favor to rest on me? And typically the way we react to this question is, remarkably similar to the way we approach getting gifts at Christmas as kids. Think about it. What is the messaging when we were growing up of how you get a gift at Christmas? You behave. You keep the rules. In fact, I'm not knocking anybody's Christmas traditions, but there's a part of me that wonders if some of it was not created by parents with kids on Christmas break, and they're like, we need a way to make these kids not go nuts. So what do you get? You get messaging that says, hey, keep the rules, be obedient, do what you're supposed to do, and on Christmas Day you get gifts. But if you're naughty, then what do you get? A lump of coal in your stocking. And as we grew up, here's what a lot of us did. We just projected that kind of thinking on God. And we came to believe, okay, the way I get God's favor is I've got to earn it. 
I've got to keep the rules. I have to stay off the naughty list. And if I can somehow keep myself off the naughty list, then the result is I earn God's favor and I get God's blessings. But here's what I know is true about you if if that's where you are today. Man, that's exhausting. That produces so much anxiety and so much pressure in your soul because there's something in you that says, well, it seems like it's really hard to stay on God's good side because most of us have this default view that God doesn't even like me. And God's just kind of perpetually angry with me. And the only way I can earn his favor is by trying my best to be really, really good. And you feel that pressure and the anxiety. And guys, I know that was like like when I was a kid between the time I was probably 8 and the time I was probably 20. Like I probably prayed the prayer to get saved no less than two dozen times. But where does that come from? That comes from this understanding and realization deep down inside that, man, I I know I don't have God's favor, but I feel like I need to earn it. But that pressure and that anxiety is spiritually crippling. And for some of us, this is why we walked away from church altogether. In fact, maybe it's the, the reason that you're back here for the first time in maybe years. Because you came to think, well, man, if it's just all about keeping the rules and staying out of trouble, like, like, I'm just done with that. I'm tired of that. And so is it better for me to just kind of kind of step away and leave? Because you got tired of trying to stay off the naughty list. You got tired of just trying to keep the rules and just do the right thing and just trying to keep almost like a heavenly Santa Claus happy because you just felt like you couldn't do it. Here's the good news about Christmas, folks. God is not inviting you into something where it's just you keep the rules. He's inviting you into a place where not only does His favor rest on you, but you and I actually rest in His favor. In fact, here's the question I want to think about for a moment. What if God's favor could rest on me? Not that I earn it, but it just rests on me. And what if, just like me sitting in a chair, what if I could just rest in His favor? Not trying to earn it, not trying to work my way there, not trying to stay off the spiritual naughty list, but spiritually resting in the favor of God that He offers me without conditions. And so this morning, I want to show you exactly how you do that. And how you find freedom from the anxiety of trying to perform and freedom from the anxiety of just trying to keep the rules and where you can come to a place spiritually where you simply rest in the favor of God. So here's how we get that. Here's how we move towards that. If you go back to Luke chapter 10, or uh, sorry, Luke chapter 2, verse 10, it says this again. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. So let's, let's pause there. 
Because this is actually our starting point. The good news actually starts with really bad news. Why do you have to tell someone not to be afraid? Because you're scared. And yeah, there's the obvious part of the angels showed up and they were terrified because angels are not chubby little babies that are half naked with harps floating on clouds. If you read Revelation, there's like some descriptions of angels and they kind of sound terrifying. But there's actually something deeper going on here in this passage because I believe part of the reason the angels say do not be afraid is because every one of us actually has a great reason to be scared of God himself. Here's why. Because God is perfect. God is holy. He is without flaw. The word scripture actually uses to describe us is we're sinful, we're imperfect, we are not matching up to God's standard. And because of that, there's something in all of us that tells us we don't measure up. In fact, this is why we're often driven to perform for God, to try to earn God's favor because we know I don't measure up, I don't cut it, and deep down inside we know that, man, if I don't measure up, God's going to get me. And so we try to do good things. We try to stay off the spiritual naughty list. And sometimes we even grow up in a church culture that says, if you just do the right things, you'll be fine. The problem with that is this. Sin earns us God's wrath. It earns us God's punishment, not because sin is what we do, but because sin is who we are. We're actually born that way. And I know that's not politically correct. I know that's popular, not popular. I know popular thinking says, well, man, we're just kind of born good. And that makes us feel good, but it's just not true. And I don't say that simply because the Bible says it. I say it because I've got two small kids. Let me just give you a perfect illustration. A few months back, um, we gave the walker that our boys had used to um, our kids' director and his wife. They have a little boy, and we gave them the walker. And, and, and if you're a parent, you know this. Like, your kids pay no attention to something until it's gone. So Kaysen comes in after we've, he's our preschooler, after we've given away this walker that he doesn't use. He's like, where's my walker? And Grace is like, honey, we gave it to Mr. Tony and Miss Amy for baby Roman. And then my little three-year-old says the following, through tears and rage, I want to go get my walker from baby Roman and take it from him and make him cry. We were like, Wow! He didn't learn that from us. That just came out of him. Because sin is not something we do, it's who we are. Why is it that we so easily, when someone cuts us off in traffic, why is it so easily we just blurt out something about that person and we bless them in the name of God? 
Because sin is not something we do. Sin is who we are. And because we are sinful and God is holy, we are hopelessly separated from God because God and His perfection cannot be associated with sin. But even more than that, because God is perfect and a perfect lawgiver, He must perfectly punish every sin or else He would cease to be perfect. And because He must perfectly punish every sin and He is perfect, even the smallest sin is nothing less than cosmic treason against our perfect Creator and is worthy of death. But the really bad news is because we're imperfect, our death doesn't satisfy the penalty for sin. And so, apart from something that God could do for us, we are hopelessly separated from God and destined for like a living death for all eternity, separated from God in a place called hell. That's naturally what we're born into. So, yes, we have every reason at least at one time, to be afraid of God. And yet the angel shows up and says, do not be afraid. Why? Well, he says, because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. In other words, you had every reason to be scared, every reason to be afraid, but now you don't need to be afraid because something is happening that changes the game. And this is the news. He says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And the big word I want us to look at there is Savior. We had a problem. Our sin separated us from God, doomed us to an eternity of suffering apart from God. And yet God has now sent a Savior. And what is the purpose of that Savior? Well, the angel tells Joseph, the stepdad of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, that Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves because he will save his people from their sins. In other words, this problem that we have, this separation we have from God, hey, God has now sent a Savior to save us from the problem that we are hopelessly stuck in. How would he do that? Well, John the Baptist says this in John 1 verse 29. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so what this Savior would do, what Jesus would do is take the sin problem that we have and take it away, remove it from us. How would he do that? Well, listen to Jesus' very words in Matthew chapter 26, verse 27. This is the night before he's crucified, and it says, Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And what he, So what Jesus is saying here is this, Hey, all of us deserved to die because of sin. But our death doesn't satisfy the debt we owe God because God is infinite in nature and infinite in perfection and therefore the smallest amount of sin is worthy of infinite punishment and therefore the only way an infinite debt could be wiped out is if somebody infinite 
in their very nature and infinite in their perfection, put themselves in that place, crediting to us their perfection so that that debt could be paid. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He died for the forgiveness, or other translations might say, the remission of our sins. What Jesus is saying is this. We had a problem called sin. But because of Jesus' death on the cross, what he did was he wiped away our sin as if it had never happened. In fact, here's what I want us to think about for a moment. What is it that you wish had never happened? What is it you wish you'd never done? What is it you wish that God wouldn't take away from your account because since Jesus died on the cross for your sin, it is like it never happened in God's eyes. In fact, Paul writes as much in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says this, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, watch this, not counting people's sins against them. In other words, because of Jesus, because of his perfect life in your place and his death on the cross in your place, your sin and my sin, every single sin of ours has been completely forgiven. It has been completely removed. And because it has been completely removed, we now have a gift from God. It's called forgiveness, and inside is his favor. The idea is this, forgiveness means favor. Forgiveness means favor. And by the way, Jesus proved that your sins were forgiven when he rose up from the dead three days later. Forgiveness means favor, which means this, it does not matter what you have done. It does not matter the mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter what your past is like. It does not matter what your present is like. Because of Jesus' work on your behalf, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are removed. And in God's eyes, it is like they never happened. The good news of Christmas is this. God is not inviting you into something where you just try to keep the rules. The message of Christianity is not, hey, try to stay off the naughty list. The message of Christianity is actually this. All of us were on the naughty list. Hopelessly on the naughty list. With no chance of getting on the nice list. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal Life, not because we earn our way there, but because God made a way there through the work of Jesus Christ. It's why He sent a Savior, because we needed to be saved. And listen, God is the perfect Heavenly Father, He desires for His favor to rest on you. So, how do we get that? Very simply this. For God's favor to rest on me, all I have to do is rest in his forgiveness. We just read John 3.16. It said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. What does this mean? 
That word believes on him, it just simply means this. It means you put your weight on him. It means you trust him completely. Just like I'm trusting this chair, I'm not doing like a super epic squat right now to keep myself up. I don't have the strength for that anyway or the balance, and my back hurts a little bit so I would fall over and look like an idiot. I'm resting in this chair, and that's what Jesus invites you and me into. It's not to try to get religious. It's not to try to do a lot of nice things. It is to simply rest in the fact that he did everything necessary for my salvation and your salvation through his life, his death, his resurrection. Everything necessary. You and I contribute nothing to it. The only thing we have to do is rest in it. I rest in the fact that he died for my sin, but resting also means this. It means just like I trust this chair to hold me up, it means I trust Jesus to hold me up and lead me through life because I can't hold myself up. Like the way we like to put it here is whenever we baptize somebody, we believe Jesus did everything necessary for my salvation, for your salvation through his life, his death, and his resurrection We rest in that, but then also resting in him means we'll follow him wherever he tells us to go and do whatever he tells us to do regardless of the cost. Why? Because he's the one that carries us. And apart from him, we can do nothing. There's freedom in that. There's peace in that. There's joy in that, that I don't have to stress myself out trying to earn God's favor because I can receive it just by resting in his forgiveness. So here's how we're going to wrap this morning. Every single person in the room, you're, you're in one of three places today. In fact, there's a little index card um, in your seat that was there. Hopefully you didn't just throw that away. I want you to pull that out. When the band sings in just a moment, I'm going to put this chair on the floor right here, and I'm going to put this little box there. And every single one of us, you're going to write something on this card, and you're going to just put it in the box. And you're just going to kind of indicate where you are tonight because every single one of us is in one of three places. And they're going to be on the screen here. And you're going to write one of these three things on this card. The first one is, I'm resting. And that simply means, that, that that's where I am. That's where a lot of you are. It means you have at some point in the past, you've given your life to Christ. And that doesn't mean you're perfect, but man, you are trusting him fully for your salvation. You are following him to the best of your ability. You're not trying to earn his favor or earn his love. You are resting in his forgiveness. That's where a lot of us are. I think there's also a lot of us in the second category. I'm reminded that's where I was the summer of 2011. I, I, had, I had just started out in ministry and became very painfully aware of just how utterly incapable I was of doing that good at all. Um, and man, I felt like just a failure and kind of like a sucky human being. But at a summer camp, man, I was reminded of God's grace. I was reminded of his forgiveness. And some of y'all need that today. You need to be reminded that even though you faltered and even though you failed, 
Your sins were already nailed to the cross with Jesus. They've already been completely forgiven and completely wiped away. And Jesus is simply saying, hey, I've already forgiven that. You don't need to run. You don't need to hide. Let's just get up and let's just keep moving forward. The third category is this. I'm receiving. That's where some of you are today. You're exactly where I was on December 23rd, 2008. You've tried to earn God's love. You've tried to earn your way to be saved. Or maybe you've just decided to heck with it. I'm doing things my own way. But deep inside, something is eating at you. Something is telling you there's got to be more. Something is telling you something's not quite right. And your response today is simply that you're receiving the forgiveness of God through Christ. That you're repenting of your sin. That you're you're no longer trying to live life on your own. You're no longer trying to earn your way to God. You are resting in the forgiveness that He offers you. And you're receiving His name. So every single one of us has, has, one, has a response. So what, I want to, what I want you to do is the band is going to come up and they're going to sing. And while they sing, write down which one of those describes what you need to do today. Maybe you're resting. Maybe you needed to be reminded. Maybe today for the first time ever, you need to receive the forgiveness of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, and salvation. So I'm going to put this chair down here. And what I want you to do while the band sings is just come up here and just just drop your card in the box. That's all you'll do. That's all you'll do. You don't have to put your name on it or anything, but that's what you'll do. But I'm going to pray. The band will come up. The band will sing. And then y'all simply respond with one of those three exactly as the Holy Spirit leads you. So Heavenly Father, I'm thankful that 2,000 years ago you sent your son and you sent your son to save us, to change us, to make a way for us to be saved where previously there was no way, Lord God. God, I'm thankful that we can be reminded of your grace. I'm thankful we can rest in it. And God, I pray for every single person here under the sound of my voice, whether you're here in the room or whether you're watching online that has not yet received your forgiveness, that this would be the moment they do. If you're here in the room, just take a moment. What do you need to write on that card? If you're online, just type into the chat, I'm resting, I'm reminded, or I'm receiving. And the band is going to sing, and as they sing, you simply come forward and just put your response in the box. Holy Spirit, work deeply in our hearts in these next few moments.